you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I want to welcome you to Big Woods this morning. I can't tell you what a great privilege it is for me to be asked to fill in for Pastor Tim as he's traveling today. And, um, I, you know, what an amazing, you know, testimony by such a young man. You know, I could just sit and listen to Christopher play the guitar, you know. You don't even need me to talk. I mean, wow, what a ministry he has there. Just amazing. Uh, quick disclaimer before we get started, I want to get right into it. We've got a lot to accomplish today. There's a ton of scripture. I don't know if you've heard. Um, uh, and I actually said at Sunday school, you know, that I, I had cut a little bit of it out, but that's all they wanted to talk about at the Sunday school Q&A. And so I'm having no mercy on you because we don't have to, you know, get to Sunday school or the second service. And so we could be here till three. Um, <laughs> now, uh, but quick disclaimer, uh, I will say that this this passage of scripture, 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, uh, there tends to be a lot of unpacking of the Bible here. There, there's a lot of scripture. And last night I was kind of, you know, reading over, making some finalizations, you know, taking some things out, tweaking it. And my wife says, you know, how's it going, Matt? How's the sermon looking? And I, and I said, well, um, it's going well, but there's a, a lot of scripture. I'm a little bit concerned about that. Like there's not a lot of illustration. There's not a lot of those warm, fuzzy stories that, that pull at your heartstrings. It's just hard core, Old Testament, New Testament, transcending between the two. And I'm a little bit concerned about that. And she looked at me and she says, well, Matt, if you're just going to bore them to death, I'm not even going. <laughs> and she's actually not here, but um, she <laughs> I know. She, she had to leave. My, my, my son got sick during Sunday school, and so we'll pray for him. And, um, but, and another quick disclaimer, too, and not to um, make this go any further, but, uh, you know, when Pastor Tim asked me to do this thing, he, he said, you know, um, about three weeks ago, I believe, he said, you know, I, I want you to fill in for me. I'm going to be traveling, but I don't know when. He said it could be short notice. And, and he said, you know, I'd like, if you could, for you to just kind of step right into my place in First Peter. Like, don't just do your own thing. If you, if you would, you know, he gave me an option a little bit. And he said, you know, step in wherever I left off, you know, just kind of continue on with things. And so I thought, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And so just to be prepared, I, I went home and and in my daily quiet time, in my daily scripture reading and devotion, I started reading First Peter. And I read First Peter 1, chapter 1 through 5 every day, just so I could be prepared. You know, just so I can get the bigger picture, reading this, even the, the notes at the bottom of my study Bible. You know, I wanted to be prepared. And, and again, I, you know, I was chatting with my wife about that. She, she loves the book of First Peter. It's one of her favorites. And, she, you know, and I said, you know, I, I really like this book too. But there's this one set of passages in chapter 1. There, there, there's these three verses in chapter 1 that are just wordy to me. Like, they're just almost laborious to read through them. Like, I've read them several times over and over again, and I just struggle to get the picture of what Peter's trying to say. But, but I wasn't too concerned. You see, I, I counted up the verses of 1 Peter. There's 105 verses in 1 Peter. And, and I'm a math teacher, and so I understand the law of probability, and I get that, like, if he's going to pick three for me to do, and there's 105 verses, the probability says that I, they probably won't be the three verses. If you haven't guessed, I, I stand before you today preaching on verses 10 through 11, which are just, like I said, laborious to me. They're, they're difficult verses for me to read and get through. And so, uh, you know, if you thought God didn't have a sense of humor, I can assure you he does. And I've probably done two things you do anytime you, you public speak. I've probably just you know, violated two rules. I told you I'm going to be boring and I don't know what I'm talking about. And so uh, <laughs> yeah, you have a lot to look forward to here in the next 35 minutes or 45 minutes. Who knows? Uh, 
But before you, you shut down shop, I want you to get this. I want you to see this. And it's something that I, I need to remind myself about every time that I do something like this. I, I need to remind myself that God doesn't operate under our strength, that we operate under his. And how comforting that is to stand before you, not really having much of a clue in and of myself, but that his spirit will speak today. So uh, I invite you today to hear a message that I, that I hope will, pro- will serve as a great reminder to us all concerning this salvation of ours. Can we just pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just, we just stand in awe of who you are, Lord. You, in the beginning, you were, and you're still here, and you transcend time, and you never change. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us this morning, that your spirit would go before us, that, that you would help us to see how your word and this idea of our salvation transcends Old Testament, New Testament, even time itself. God, I pray that if at this very last minute that I don't speak anything outside of what your will has for the church at Big Woods. God, I pray for that it's for your glory and not for mine, that you... You reduce my pride that it's you working in me. God, I pray for for the people under my voice that their hearts would be open and receptive to this message concerning their salvation, that they would walk out of here seeing it in a different light, Lord, and that you would get the glory through all of it. I ask all these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. All right, so here we go. I, uh, I've done, I think, you a favor. Um, I've got a lot of scripture, as I mentioned, but I've put it all on the PowerPoint. Um, and so if you see that I'm, like, reading a, a passage and it's not up there, like somebody, like, wave at me or something, because it's, it's all there, because I'm going to move. Like, we've got to move. There's not going to be time to, to maybe leaf through your Bibles. You can write down the reference and go back later and study it. But so here we go. First Peter, chapter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So quick review. Uh, over the last three weeks, Pastor Tim has kind of laid down the, the foundation of this letter here in First Peter. We, we know it was obviously written by the Apostle Peter to the, the scattered Christians in the area of Asia Minor. And, and it's, it's primarily a, a handbook for Christian living, especially in the, the face of you know, adversity and pain and suffering. And we heard, I think it was two weeks ago, you know, Pastor Tim talking about us standing strong in God's mercy, his new birth and his inheritance for us. You know, last week we delved into this idea of pain and, and how pain is temporary yet so necessary to prove our faith. And when that happens, we rejoice. And, and so these, these, the last three weeks I see is like this culminating uh, effort to the, what I like to see is like the climax of chapter one here today. These three verses kind of bring it to a head. Not that this is the end of chapter one, but they kind of bring to a head these first couple weeks of uh, Pastor Tim's messages. And it's here um, in verses 10 through 12 where Peter really delves into this idea concerning our salvation. 
And I want you right away to see his aim or his goal in this passage. It's to display just how amazing our salvation is. And I don't, I don't know about you, but, but I love hearing about God's plan of salvation for me. I love to hear it. When I, when I knew that these verses were about salvation and Peter really wanted to, to just set my heart on fire about salvation, I could not wait. Because I, I expected to hear that, you know, God being holy and me being a sinner... We're, we're separated. But that God, being infinitely loving, He looks on me as a sinner and seeing nothing good in me, He sends His Son to die in my place. I expected to hear that His Son comes and His Son bears my sins on a cross and His Son dies, taking the wrath that was meant for me and placing it on His only Son. God crushes His Son. That's what I expect to hear from Peter in three verses that flaunt our salvation. But as you read these verses, we don't hear any of that. I mean, we don't even see mention of the word bloodstained cross where my Savior died for me. You see, while Peter's goal is to put our salvation on display, he does it in a really unique way. He doesn't just pour out his heart about some one bloody moment in history where Christ died for our sins. That certainly happened. But rather, he he explains how great our salvation is through the perspective of three individuals down through history. And so let's begin unpacking these three verses, and let's see what Peter's talking about here um, and try to just see this beauty of this great salvation of ours. And so I take you, let's go to verses 10 and 11. I think I just kind of pulled them to the side here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so Peter begins here, concerning this salvation. And I think we've got to pause right there. I mean, as I mentioned, this is, this is wordy stuff. And, and for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I've got to pause like, every three to five words and like check for understanding here in this this passage. And so when Peter says, concerning this salvation, I ask myself, what salvation? And clearly Peter's alluding to the, the salvation that he spoke about in, in verses, uh, what was it, I guess five and nine, the verses that Pastor Tim has been you know, preaching on the last few weeks. But I even went one step further. I mean, if we're going to delve into this idea of salvation, like I wanted to really hammer it down. So like I'm on the internet, I go to dictionary.com and I Google salvation. You know, what does salvation really mean by definition? And so uh, salvation is, salvation is, pause, salvation is deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. And I think we've got to even go a little bit further and unpack that a little bit. Like, what does that look like? What is the penalty of sin? Well, according to Romans 6.23, we see that the wages of sin is death. And even further, quick reality check on that. Like, we're not talking about death like six feet under death of the mortal body. But we're talking about death in a place called hell. Where the worm does not die and the, and the fire is not quenched. That's the death that Romans 6.23 talks about. A death of eternal destruction. It's an absolutely terrifying place as you read about it in the Bible. And that's where sinners who apart from Christ are going to spend an eternity of eternities. But as terrifying as the first part of Romans 6.23 is, the latter part is equally as beautiful in my opinion. 
oppositely beautiful. I guess that's the way I should say that. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh. I mean, you mean, you mean in the same verse, I, I, could, I could have eternal damnation or eternal life, and the only difference is a gift? That's right. And, and you see that word there. If we, if we look at verse 10, you see that word there. I have it underlined. The overarching word of all this idea of salvation is this word grace. Oh, grace. Grace means the unmerited favor of God on us. It's the idea that salvation really, truly is a gift. We don't deserve it, and we certainly can't earn it. I mean, did you hear Christopher? We'll never know what it cost to see our sin upon that cross. We'll never know. That's the way gifts work. Somebody paid the price for them. No sinner is too lost and no sin is too great for this grace to cover. And it has absolutely nothing to do with us. This gift of grace in Christ Jesus speaks of a love that's just incomprehensible. We can't fathom such love. And you know, you know what I found in my own life? I found that the, the more I understand about this love of, of God and the more I understand about His grace, the more I realize just how depraved I am the more I realize just how much I need Him. You know, I also found the more I, I learn of this grace and this infinite love, the less I want God for what He can give me and the more that I just stand in awe of Him. I mean, that's the picture of Isaiah, right, in chapter 6 when he sees the Lord and the angels are flying around saying, holy, 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 and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. We get a picture right away of the angel touching the coal to his lips. You know, I read with interest each week uh, via email, Pastor Nick's Navigate updates, the the youth updates. I don't know why I get them. My kids aren't old enough to get them, but I I don't unsubscribe, number one, because I like them, and number two, because I feel like it kind of keeps me a little hip. You know what I mean? Like reading what the young people are doing. I, I don't know if that's even a word that young people use anymore, hip. But... Uh, you know, I read with interest this week, one of the, the talking points in Nick's discussion with the young people was this. He, he quotes, he says, We don't come to Jesus for the swag bag, the changed life, more peace. Instead, we come trembling before the King, recognizing Him for who He is, thinking to ourselves the whole time, why am I even here? The answer we know, but we still find it shocking. It's because God so loved the world. I was glad for the the parentheses describing the contents of a swag bag. I would have been a little lost on that. But beyond that, what truth there is in that little passage there. I I want you to get this because it's something that Pastor Tim, I think, has been preaching for a number of weeks and months and who knows how long. But this idea of salvation, it's, it's not about all that he can give to me. It's not about all that he can give to me. It's about the fact that He alone is enough when everything else in my life is stripped away. That's the message of salvation. It's not all about what He can give to me. It's about the idea that He is enough when everything else is gone. I, I, I so much enjoy the, the Sunday school Q&A. And last week, you know, we talked about that idea of pain and in the life of a believer. And, and how are we to look at such that, that, you know? We don't want to put on a fake smile. 
but we don't want to curse God. And, you know, we get the picture of Job who, who literally lost everything. And you look at Job, and, and Job doesn't put on a fake smile. Job shaves his head, and he tears his clothes, and he's mourning, and he's weeping. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord's enough for this pain I'm going through. The Lord is enough for this trial. The Lord is enough for the trial you're going through today. And we know there are burdens on your hearts. God is enough. And so we've chatted a a bit about this uh, idea of salvation and grace, but we have not yet gotten to my first point of my message. I don't know if you've noticed yet. And so we better get there. Um, Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And so I'm just going to stop there. Point number one in your sermon notes can be filled with that word there, prophets. The prophets wrote about and they sought to know more concerning the knowledge of of salvation. And I got to tell you, if, you, if you've never picked up the Bible and you've never read through the, the Old Testament, you are missing out. I, from Moses to Malachi, these prophets of old had one central theme, and it's this, the salvation that was to come. The prophets wrote and they proclaimed countless verses of prophecy hundreds of years before Christ ever came to this earth. Hundreds of years before his death, they're proclaiming things about it. Even as far back as Genesis chapter 3. I mean, we're talking about like the the fourth or fifth page of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, we get a glimpse of God's plan of redemption. It says this, God talking to the serpent, he says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Way back in Genesis 3, fourth or fifth page of your Bible, we see Christ's victory over Satan. And chapter 3 is a really neat chapter. It's the fall of man, right? What happens right after they they eat the forbidden fruit? They they notice their nakedness. And do you know what they do? Do you know what Adam and Eve do? They, They try to sew clothes for themselves. They put fig leaves on to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. They try to fix their sin on their own. Have you ever been there? And do you know what God does? you know what God does in Genesis 3? For the first time in all of history, we see death come into the picture. We see, we see God kill an animal and take its skin, and, and its skin covers Adam and Eve. He makes clothes for them from this animal. And, and it doesn't say it in Genesis 3, but, you know, when there's death, there's blood. And you get this picture of God just, like, sliding this animal skin down over Adam, down over Eve, and the blood is dripping, and the blood is covering them. And I don't mean to be gory, but you get this picture that there has to be bloodshed for atonement for sin in Genesis chapter 3. About a few familiar Christmas passages. Let's go there in terms of prophecy. Isaiah 7 Chapter 7 and 9, I have them both here. Isaiah seven fourteen says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
I mean, you, you've got you've to go there. You've, you've got to read this thing and, and go there and put your place, yourself in the place of Isaiah. 600 to 700 years before the birth of Christ, the Holy Spirit has Isaiah write this down, that this baby would be born to a virgin mother. And, and that while the world would be getting a baby, God would be giving a son. And so right away we get this picture of I, God is giving a son who is the son of God. What must have Isaiah thought about this? He surely couldn't have seen the bigger picture. I mean, how is a baby born to a virgin mother anyway? I mean, that's impossible in and of itself. Can you imagine the prophets? They, they don't see the bigger picture here. They don't understand. Yes, they're prophesying. Yes, the Holy Spirit's speaking to them. Yes, they're writing it down. But they don't see what we see. So we chat a little bit about uh, Christmas. Let's go to Palm Sunday. Here we see Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we see here Isaiah proclaiming the, the scene of, of Palm Sunday with Jesus riding in on, on this colt. And the people are laying their, their cloaks in front of them and they're laying down these, these palm branches. And the people are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which you know, or should know, that that's really just Psalm 18, 118, excuse me. Isn't that amazing? Like these, all this Old Testament transpiring into the, the new. And, and you know what's even more interesting? That, that word there, Hosanna. Hosanna means like save us. They're shouting save us. And you see, you see what Zechariah says there. Salvation is he. Perhaps the best known prophecy concerning the work of salvation and the sufferings of Christ is in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh. Again, you, you, you have to wonder what Isaiah thought about this. I mean, doesn't he just prophesy that God's going to send his own son as a baby? God's going to send his, his own son as a baby. And then we read a passage like this, and it's just got to shock him. I mean, we don't have time to do it to read through the entire Isaiah 53, but the entire Isaiah 53 gives us a glimpse into the life of Jesus. You know, Isaiah says, He isn't born into royalty. He has no beauty or majesty that would attract us to Him. He is not worshipped. He is not exalted. In fact, it's much the opposite. He is despised. He is rejected. And we see here, the verses that I read, we see that He took our pain. He bore on Himself all of our suffering. He bore on Himself all of our iniquity, all of our sin, all of our filth, all of the garbage in our lives. He took all of that on Himself. And if you read verse 10, it says it pleased the Lord to crush him. Can you imagine what Isaiah thought? He says, it's your own son. 
you, you said you were sending your son and now you're telling me you're going to crush him? You know, I asked earlier concerning what salvation? Concerning this salvation. You know, is it any wonder here that Peter says in verses 10 and 11, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he preached the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Hundreds of years before the life of Jesus, Jesus' life and death, these prophets could not have understood all that was being told to them. And if there's any doubt about this, I mean, we can even go to the New Testament and see this. Let's just go there. Matthew 13, what a neat verse this is in comparison to what we're talking about. Matthew 13, 16 to 17 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Do you hear the words Matthew uses? Blessed are are your eyes, for you see the bigger picture. Blessed are, are your ears, for you hear. What do your eyes see and hear? Everything that the prophets long to see and hear. Do you get the picture? The, the, the prophets longed for the knowledge of salvation that we have so readily available to us. They studied it. They desired it above all things, yet they couldn't grasp it. You can almost hear their desperate plea for answers. I mean, who is this baby? Who would be the Messiah? Where? When? We even see in Isaiah 6, Isaiah saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Can I just wrap up by saying this? And you've got to get it because it's really the overarching truth of of everything I'm saying in 1 Peter here. Uh, Concerning this salvation, if the prophets carefully studied and desired for more knowledge of a salvation that they couldn't fully comprehend and that would never be fulfilled during their lifetimes, do we, 2,000 years on the other side of history, have the same zeal concerning this salvation? Knowing the complete work was finished in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Do we, having in our hands, probably six of them at home, having in our hands the finished record of God's plan of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, have the same desires the prophets did to know Him more? And I'll just answer that for myself. Could it be that I didn't really comprehend verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter because I just read them as routine? Yeah, I was getting up and early and I was doing my scripture reading and I was praying. But could, could it be that it was just... Mundane? Could it be that it was just a routine of reading through Scripture without the desire to know Him more? What a great reminder this message is for me as well today. And so that was point number one. Don't panic. I promise two points two and three do move a little more quickly. Uh, so let's go to verse 12. Verse 12 is on the screen there. It says, It was revealed to them that while they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Uh, And so the beginning of verse 12 says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And and so I just want to quickly go here. 
you know, this is sort of what I was talking about earlier. The salvation which the prophets wrote about, they studied about, they proclaimed it, was not for them. At least not then. We see this in Hebrews, right? We go to Hebrews 11 and then later uh, 39 to 40. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Hebrews 11.39 and 40 says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so panic not, that verse there, the, the, the tail end of that says, that apart from us they should not be made perfect, means that, yeah, they, they did earn, they did not earn the salvation, that's terrible, they'll fire me for that, uh, but they did gain the salvation. They did, just not then, it wasn't for them then. We even see that more in, uh, I believe it's Romans 3, we read in Sunday school. You know, you go there and you see that, you know, uh, it's all about the sins that were committed beforehand had left go unpunished and uh, righteousness through faith. But Hebrews 11 is this hall of fame of faith chapter in the Bible. And it, it, it includes all these, you know, just Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob. And, and, and it includes the prophets. Yet all of them died before seeing the coming of this virgin uh, born Savior. You know, as I prepared uh, this message, I, I, I read several commentaries on these passages. I, I listened to several different speakers and sermons and, uh, you know, just trying to glean Scripture, I, you know, trying to take anything that I could away from these, these men that I look up to. And one of the neatest verses I found, because it's so obscure, I actually am borrowing from John MacArthur is the one that mentioned it. It goes way back to Numbers 24, verse 17. Numbers 24, verse 17 says this. this is, it's so great. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. And perhaps the way it's, it's the way I read it to myself, but I, I just get this feeling of longing here from the prophet Balaam. I, I see him. I see the star, the Messiah, but not now. I behold him, this scepter, this king, but not near. Oh, how the prophets desired to know more concerning this salvation. If we continue on in verse 12, it says, picking up in the middle there, it says, In the things that have now been announced to you, though those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Point number two of my message is this. The apostles proclaim the good news of salvation. Again, I'll make this point much shorter. But throughout all of the New Testament, we, we see this idea of the apostles being sent out to preach the gospel. They were apostles because they were witnesses to the life of Christ. They had firsthand knowledge of all that the prophets had searched and longed for. They were witnesses to his resurrection, and they were called to proclaim his salvation. I'm going to read several verses here, just verses that I picked up throughout the New Testament. But again, don't make it mundane. Listen as I read. Look at each of them and see how the apostles are are proclaiming this great salvation. Starting with 1 Corinthians 2.2, Apostle Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Peter in Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. 
Still in Acts 2.36 it says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Two more. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through, Lord, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that it offers salvation to all people. You know, throughout all of these verses here, we hear the greatest news in the history of proclaimed. Salvation is here. The Messiah has come. He is Christ the Lord. We've seen Him resurrected. We've seen the, the nail holes through His hands. We've seen the holes in His feet. It's really Him. Believe on Him and you will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The last passage there is Peter in Acts, but he's really quoting Joel, chapter 2, the Old Testament. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, says Joel 2. I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. Spurgeon says, The prophets foretold what the apostles reported. The seers look forward, the evangelists look backward, but their eyes meet at one place. They see eye to eye, and both behold the cross. Concerning what salvation? Concerning this salvation. The salvation that the prophets wrote it and inquired and desired and the salvation that the apostles proclaimed with their lives. I mean, we don't have to read far in the New Testament. You go to that book of Acts. They proclaimed it with their mouth, but they proclaimed it with their lives at the same time. These men, Jesus says, follow me, and they left everything and followed him. They left jobs, they left family, they left the comforts of home. And if you read, all, every one of them was martyred with the exception of John. They all died bad. Yet all of them enter into glory with the king. All of them lived lives that said, I, I don't care that I'm being beaten, I don't care that I'm being whipped. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice in it. I rejoice in the sufferings. Because Christ was enough. Friends, I, I, this, this is to me as well, but we have to caution ourselves in the church in America. We have so much. We have daily schedules that don't leave room for five minutes. If I'm five minutes off on my schedule in the morning, I don't make it to work on time because I've got my life crammed that full. And so I think sometimes that we, as the church in America, we, we get so busy with our daily lives that we don't mean to compartmentalize. We don't mean to leave Jesus here in this church, in this building, rather. But we do. We get, we're so on fire leaving this building, but it doesn't last through Monday. Because we've got so much else to worry about. The alarm clock goes off and the kids are hungry. And I've got to get my coffee and I've got to get to work. And I've got to you know, study for a test for some of you young people. We've just got all this stuff. Some of it's not bad stuff. But the apostles, Jesus was all they had. We've got all this stuff to cloud our Jesus. We've got all this stuff that clouds our salvation. 
me finish up here. Uh, Verse 12 again. Oh, we went too far. Both. Thanks. It was revealed to them uh, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is the part. This is our third point. Things into which angels long to look. Point number three, the angels long to look on the things regarding salvation. And I, to be honest with you, I think of all the points today, this one is the coolest of all. But for us to really understand it, we've got to unpack two of the words there. I've got them underlined in bold. Long and look. And so we we look at that first word there, that word long. That word long implies like a, a deep desire. It's the same word that we see in the parable of the prodigal son, where the the prodigal son is in the pigsty, and he's starving to death. And it says he longed for the scraps the pigs were eating. That's that word, long. The angels long to look, meaning that they look with desire on the things concerning our salvation. And that other word there, the other word is look. If you have the NIV version, the NIV says, even angels long to look into these things. And those words that are look into mean to stoop sideways. They mean to, to bend over. It's like an action word. To lean in. We, we see the same word look uh, when uh, Peter and John raced to the empty tomb. And it says they looked in. You get the picture of them looking in. They're leaning with desire, with intent. That's what the angels are doing for your salvation. I mean, how cool is it that the holy angels have this intense longing, this deep desire to look upon our salvation like that? I mean, the holy angels will never experience our salvation. They don't need it. They exist for one purpose, to glorify God. But how do you glorify God more than to long to look at His Entire salvation. I mean, just think about what the holy angels have seen. This is really just so interesting. Think about what they've longed to look. I can just picture them looking down, and and they they see Lucifer and and a third of their angelic beings being cast from heaven. And and the angels, they they see sin enter the world through Adam and Eve, these people who God created in His own image. He sees the fall of man. But they immediately see God make provision for them. We talked about that. Get this one. This one's so good. How much does this pertain? The angels witness Moses building the Ark of the Covenant, where above the atonement cover sit two solid gold cherubim angels looking down on the mercy seat. Way back in the Old Testament, two gold angels looking down on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Throughout the Old Testament, the angels... Surely see bloody sacrifice after bloody sacrifice offered up as atonement for sin and they wonder when will it ever end. The angels look on intently as as God only son humbles himself and becomes a man and he's sent to earth to be born as a virgin. Some of them did more than look on. Some of them went and sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom his favor rests. The angels watch with great interest as Jesus feeds the hungry, as he heals the sick. He opens up blind eyes and deaf ears, and he even raises the dead. The angels were looking on. 
and they lean in to hear his message of salvation, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They're looking on all of this. You know what the Bible even says? They rejoice every time. Every time a sinner, lost sinner comes home, they rejoice and they celebrate. I'm sure the angels watched with increasing intent as Jesus is arrested and Barabbas is set free. I'm sure they, they watch nervously as, as Jesus is mocked and he's beaten and he's spit on and he's forced to wear this crown of thorns. I'm sure the angels leaned in to watch every agonizing step of our Savior carrying his cross to Golgotha Hill, the place of this crucifixion. I'm sure the angels recoiled in horror as nails were driven through his hands and his feet. And his side was pierced. Yet we have to assume that the angels celebrated as our Christ dying on the cross in all of his pain, in all of his agony, saves one more. Today you will be with me in paradise, he says to the criminal next to him. Intently, the angels watch as this this God-man Jesus, he, he bore your sins and he bore my sins and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they watched as he died. And for three long days, they watched a sealed tomb. But then on the first day of the week, the angels looked on the impossible. They looked on a a stone that was rolled away. Two of them, two of them, gleaming like lightning, the Bible says, got to go and proclaim, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. I love that verse. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. Amen. You know, I take some some liberty probably in, in describing some of these things that I feel like the angels long to look at. But we don't need to speculate what the angels will be looking at and what they're longing to look to in the future. Revelation 5 does that for us. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, honor, and glory, and blessing. What a picture, amen? You know, you've heard a lot about salvation today, and I am coming to a close, I promise. <laughs> but I, I just praise God daily that, you know, I don't know that I've ever set my foot in this, in this building uh, where I haven't heard the gospel preached from the worship team, from the Sunday school ministry, from all the other ministries, from Nick Boonstra who prays for our offering every day by preaching the gospel, right through to the pulpit. I don't know that I've ever sat in this building and not heard the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And why not? It's the greatest news in all of history. It's the greatest news throughout time. Every other topic pales in comparison to the salvation I mean, that's what Peter is trying to tell you here in this, in this text. This salvation that the prophets, they, they, pro, they proclaimed so many years ago. And the apostles, they, they proclaim with their lives. And that the angels long to look to. 
It's not just another boring rerun. It's not like eating leftovers, this gospel. Have you not read it says that His mercies are brand new every day? There's a world of broken people in, in Castanea and Lockhaven and Millhall and Beach Creek and Blanchard and Macklehatton that need to hear this message. Why is it that we take it so mundanely? They need to hear that today is the day of salvation. You know, I love the way that Max Lucado kind of sums up this message today. He says, Through the, or excuse me, though the Bible was written over 16 centuries by at least 40 authors, it has one central theme, salvation through faith in Christ. How glorious this theme of salvation. I have just one more comment and I'll close with this. Might I suggest that the central theme of salvation even transcends time itself? Yeah, it transcends the scripture. But the scripture says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was Jesus. And, and if this thing, this, this word speaks salvation from Genesis 3 to the end, doesn't Jesus clearly know from before the beginning of time the events that would transpire on the cross? I mean, think about that. Have you ever really pondered this notion that Jesus, before the beginning of time, knows he's going to bear our sins and die? And I think for some of us, we say, does that cheapen it somehow? Does does that make it easier? And I say to you, is it easier when you, you're waiting for a report from the doctor and that's off like a week from now or two weeks from now? There's these test results that you're so concerned about. Does that make those two weeks go easier on you? Clearly not. It's all you can think about. It's constantly in your mind. And so I take you to Jesus from before the beginning of time, knowing what happens to him. And there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can understand why his sweat's like blood. It gives different meaning to a verse like John 10, 18. It says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. The soldiers thought that they were taking Jesus' life. Little did they know that he had planned to do it before the beginning of time. Concerning what salvation? Concerning this salvation. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God and Father, I, I just thank you for the price that you paid Forgive us, Lord, for we are people of unclean lips. We are not worthy of this great salvation, Lord. God, I pray that you would place a burden on us by your spirit, that we would be burdened to share this salvation with others around us, that that it wouldn't just be another rerun in our lives, that the busyness of our lives wouldn't overtake this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this salvation of ours is, is like that treasure hidden in a field where we, we hide it again and we go and sell off everything we own to gain that treasure. Thank you, God, for this salvation of ours. 
Thank you, God, for humbling yourself to become a man and dying a death that we couldn't die because you lived a perfect life in our place. Let our lives be living sacrifices for you today, Monday, Tuesday, even Friday night, Lord. Let us still have this passion of the salvation that is in us. We ask all these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. Please stand.